On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. We've done four already, but now we're steady. And then they went one, two, three, four. Welcome, everyone, to the Audio Judo Podcast. Well, that was actually an excellent way to start. Right? So topical. So topical. Because today, what we're are talking we doing? about Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy. Houses of the Holy. And we are joined today by a very special guest, Kirby Grows. Is it gross? Is it gross? It is. You it can call it what you gross? want. Gross? Yeah, it works. You guessed his last name? You had no idea? Just out of the blue. (laughs) Like, I had no idea what it was. And I'm like, hmm, hmm, mm hmm, hmm. I'm getting a feeling here. Rose. It's either Smith or Gross. (laughs) I'm going to go with B. I don't sugarcoat it. It's gross. It is what it is. (laughs) Is it gross? (laughs) Yeah. All right. But he is our very special guest to talk about uh, Houses of the Holy. Right. Fantastic album. Why did you pick this one, Kirby? I think for me, uh, Over the Hills and Far Away was always my favorite Led Zeppelin song. And Houses of the Holy, I think, was the first Zeppelin album I picked up on vinyl. And so listening through it on vinyl just solidified it for me as uh, as like the Led Zeppelin album. So it it, it felt like their first album of truly just them. And it, it, it really felt like it was it was something unique for them. And it felt like it was the first time they could do something completely on their own and prove that you know they were still within the realm of, of one of the greatest bands in the world. So for me, Houses of the Holy, well-rounded album, gives you a little bit of everything. And that's an excellent choice. It'd be fun to talk about. Take a look at where we're at in the Led Zeppelin catalog. All right. So we're coming out of a four album cycle. We got Led Zeppelin one, two, and three, and then whatever you want to call the fourth one, Runes, Zoso, Led Zeppelin four, or as Robert Plant refers to it, the fourth album, <laughs> which is that's very Robert Plant, right? right? So you're coming out of this this cycle with you know Black Dog, Immigrant Song, Communication Breakdown, Days of Confuse, Whole Lot of Love, like full of bombast, this rafter shaking, tinged yes. with this Delta blues with a English rock spin on it, right? So Stairway had just been released, taking its place in the history. They're starting to break the mold a little bit with the second side of Led Zeppelin 4. When the Levee Breaks is starting to break out of that mold. It has a completely different sound. There's pedal guitar. It's totally different. And then after Houses of the Holy, you have the West African tinged records, physical graffiti and presence and stuff like that is trying to do something completely different. And this little gem sits in between those periods. And that's what I love about this record is that one of the first three, four records, they were taking 15 hours to 12 weeks to record a record. They took 17 months to record Houses of the Holy. And clearly that space allowed them to breathe a little bit and start to compose instead of just riff rock in your face. Yeah, it's... Well, sorry, not to not to draw a bad 
reference here to baseball, but to me, it, it seems like Houses of the Holy was uh, taking someone who was a, a hurler, a thrower. He wasn't a pitcher yet. Houses of the Holy was them learning how to fine tune and and really find a sound that was unique. But like you said, it wasn't that just earth shattering. The depth was just all the way to the moon, right? Well, now we get to bring it down, kind of bring it back to earth a little bit. Uh, Paige was still coming out of the, the Yardbird days. Yep. Very riff oriented and not necessarily compositional. And those first four records were so influenced by what Jimmy Page wanted them to be. And John Paul Jones started to assert his influence with that record. And John Paul Jones starts to bring this element in the Mellotron and it changes the dynamic of how the band composes songs. So I'm going to read you something. I'm still not convinced this album is by the same group that brought us the likes of Communication Breakdown, Heartbreaker, and Black Dog. The powerfully simplistic rhythms and surging adrenaline drive that made those songs so compelling is nowhere to be found. Only once is it attempted on the ocean, but there it's so diluted with pointless humor that the necessary musical tension never develops. Two songs are naked imitations, easily the worst thing this band has ever attempted. The Crunge reproduces James Brown so faithfully that it's every bit as boring and repetitive and cliched as Goodfoot. The Maker is even worse, a pathetic stab at reggae that would probably get the Zep laughed off the island if they bothered playing it in Jamaica. The truly original songs on House of the Holy again underscore Led Zeppelin's songwriting deficiencies. Dancing Days, The Rain Song, and No Quarter fall flat on their respective faces. The first is filler, while the latter two are nothing more than drawn-out vehicles for the further display of Joan's unknowledgeable use of Mellotron and synthesizer. Page and friends should similarly realize their limitations, get back to playing the blues rock that moves mountains. Until they do, Led Zeppelin will remain limp blimp. This review... I'm going to take a guess. Yeah from Rolling Stone. It is from Rolling Stone. Hot take. June 7th, 1973, two months after the record was released. Then, the Rain Song is seven minutes of exquisite heartache, complete with Mellotron strings from John Paul Jones. Ambitious and confident enough to believe they could meet any musical challenge, this album even includes a swinging take on reggae. The Ocean, the love song for Plant's baby daughter that closes the album, is a mighty stomp that could rattle the teeth of fans in the last row of Madison Square Garden. They had the largest crowds, the loudest rock songs, the most groupies, the fullest manes of hair. Eventually, excess would turn into bombast, but on houses, it still proved inspiration. Also, from Rolling Stone, 30 years later, right? which once again proves the point, nobody read Rolling Stone. It's a piece of garbage. <laughs> Correct. It's done. I mean, was, was there any, I mean, on that note, was there really any other band besides Led Zeppelin that was just hated as much by Rolling Stone? I mean, it just seemed like they just did not. They really did not like Led Zeppelin. I don't know what the deal was. Uh, they but, hated Rush for years, too. Uh, yeah. And so, it was only at the tail end of the career that they finally get the respect that they deserve. They hated so the, Rush. So the largest music publication in the world, potentially. Yeah hates good musicians is what yes. we're trying to say. If you're like. not Elvis yeah. Costello or Radiohead, then you're <laughs> shit to them. Well, they, they were just, they were preparing for it. You know, they right? didn't know at the time. And don't get me wrong, I listened to Elvis Costello and Radiohead, but for crying out loud, it's not like the Messiah came and just wrote OK Computer. It's, <laughs> it's, an okay not, record. it's not Houses of the Holy, though. Right. Let's be real. I do think it's interesting that they mentioned musical humor in their discussion of it, though, because in all the research that I was doing for this, a lot of times when they've interviewed band members from Led Zeppelin, they've they've all said the same thing. They're like, well, this song started out as a joke and, you know, or this song, you know, like a uh, uh, Jamaica or Dire Maker, however yeah. you want to pronounce it. You got to do it. Come on. You have a British accent. Jamaica. Well, so here's the thing. Do you, do you want to go over that really quick? You know where that name came from, right? 
I believe I have it in my notes somewhere, but go ahead. It is an old bar joke, a Cockney bar joke, right? And the joke goes something like this. One guy says, my wife uh, went away to the, uh, to the Caribbean. And the other guy says, Jamaica? And he says, no, she went of her own accord. Exactly. So that Because is, it would be pronounced, I mean, you read it in, you know, an American reads it and it's dire, dire maker. What the hell is that? But the way a Cockney person would pronounce it is Jamaica, as in, did you make her? So the name's a bit of a joke. So what? I think that it's it's been interesting to me to read that a lot of the musicians, as they were talking about it, they said, oh, this started out as a joke or this started out, we were having fun and stuff. And I, I kind of wondered if that's not why this album sounds different than one through four. Mm. They were having fun with it. They were literally like, hey, we're already successful. Let's do whatever the fuck we want. Pretty much. Let's make an album for us. And that's why it took so long. And that's why they had fun with it. And that's why they did all kinds of cool new stuff with it. Yeah, they recorded it in a couple different places. Recorded it at uh, Stargrove's Manor, which Mick Jagger owned. And, no! Um, yes! And then they recorded at Headley Grange, where they had recorded a lot of other stuff. But they were recording in the Stones Mobile Studio yeah. Essentially. And they, so you had time and they had taken enough time off that they could work on song ideas separately and then bring them together instead of being locked in a room for 12 weeks or whatever and like bang it out. Okay. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page both had like home studios put in, yes. right? Yep. So they could work on stuff at home and like experiment at home. They Which was like, rare back then. Yeah. This is what, 1972 when they were 72, recording? Yeah, 72, 73. And that, the idea of a home studio, you know, today it's a, a MacBook and three microphones. Yeah. Right. But in a 97 time, degree garage. And a 97 degree garage, you know, we could record a, we could record an album. What in is here. this? Is sweaty? It's, it's 96 degrees, oh, Kirby. Yeah, Come right. on, oh, man. I'm very sorry. How dare you? <laughs> but uh, today it's like something easy. But at the time, I mean, you had to have equipment. You had to have somebody come in and maintain the tape machines. You had to have, you know. And tape. I mean, you what? had to have tape. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should start Miles there. Miles of tape. Yeah. Do you, you have just, any tape? You, no. 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 Oh, this is going to be a long oh, process. Boy. And I, I believe cards. that uh, this would have been their last album before they launched their own record label, Swan yeah, Song. This was yeah. the last Atlantic so, recording, yeah. I think they had finally got to the point where they could stand up to Atlantic and they didn't feel like they had to abide by it. Yeah, they, they could <laughs> flip those birds. <laughs> to the double bird. Yeah. Uh, and that's and, not two women. That's Matthew four-fingering somebody. <laughs> Four. I beg your pardon? Whoa. Whoa, that's the double British bird. Ah, sign me up. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I think it with the time that they took to record it, and again, a very different stylistic approach, it really was the start of their own record label. So this may not have been the first album on their label, but I mean, you really could look at it like that because what's Atlantic going to do? Oh, at this point, they're just like, give us something. Give us something. Oh, and by the way, it sold 11 million copies in the United yeah. States. So hey, that's pretty good. Thanks. Okay, all right, thanks. Thank you for that. <laughs> all right, let's, so let's, let's talk about it. Let's start at the beginning. Song remains the same. Totally different than anything Paige had done before. Those guitars are not distorted. Those are clean guitars right out of the gate, which is totally out of character for what he's doing. I mean, that song sets the table for what's to come as, a, as an experimental song. But then you follow it up with what I personally believe to be one of the top 10 rock songs ever written in the Rain Song. I absolutely love everything about that song, and I have since I was 13 or 14. 
I, I still can't believe like the song remains the same started out as an instrumental. Like that's how they started writing it. Jimmy Page wrote it as a, he composed it as a complete instrumental. Yep. It was originally called Overture. And then Robert Plant came in and was like, no, I can write lyrics for this. And he wrote lyrics for it. And it's interesting to me to think like it would have followed that sort of instrumental introduction to them. And this would have been the instrumental introduction mm-hmm. to this album that isn't. It has lyrics to it. And I think it makes it even a better song. I agree. Can you imagine had it not? It would have been crazy. It kind of has, um, going back to Led Zeppelin 3, a little bit of immigrant song vibe. Uh-huh. Uh, right out the gate, I mean, you just get you just get punched right in the face with it, even though it's not Paige's typical overdriven, just, you know, uh-huh. crunch. Just a tick of distortion, just a little bit of reverb, and it, it's very just sharp, and it... Uh, you don't really have a choice. I mean, you're blown right into it right away. And then, you know, when Bonham comes in, you really, you can't escape it. Now it's there. And it does pick up with lyrics, but you do still get that intro, that true musical intro to the album, even though it's going to continue the song. So yeah. it's... Well, it's got to be, uh, what, 90 seconds maybe before you, yeah, there's, there's any solid, lyrics? Oh, at least. A solid minute and a half. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the drums come with the big Ludwig, yep. freaking 24-inch bass. Yeah. It's just thuddy. And you know, he's got his Lincoln logs out. Yep. You know, he's hitting with tree trunks. I love the history of songs, but one of the other names. So this, this song had like four different names. So it was the overture and then it became the campaign and then it became Worcester and Plumpton races. I wish that would have been the name, which would have been the perfect name. It was oh, named man, after so much uh, better. Jimmy Page and uh, Robert Plant's uh, respective estates, apparently in England before they changed it to the song remains the same. Wooster. Wooster, excuse me. Wooster. That would have been so much better I, than Song Remains the Same. Right? What are you listening to, Matt? Wooster and Plumpkin? <laughs> Wooster and Plumpton races? What? You heard me. That's what I'm listening Did to. Did I stutter? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you said, Kirby. It's still an introduction. It's still like a nonverbal introduction to the album, and then it becomes even more of a song as it's going on. And a guilty pleasure for me, actually, that is a song that I actually prefer live over the studio album. I do like a lot of Led Zeppelin songs live, but I can appreciate the studio version. But I actually think, even though they they can't pick up the same layering that you get off the studio album version, I, I do quite enjoy the live rendition Did of they it. play that on the Song Rain's the same video? The, the Madison Square Garden? Yes. Yeah. It is in the concert video? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it is. Well, I'm sure... I, I Being the title, you. the title video, I would hope so. Well, but but the song "Houses of the Holy" is not on the not record. Not on "Houses of the, the Holy. Holy." They didn't think it was good enough. <laughs> so they just what kicked it down to physical, physical graffiti. graffiti. Actually, I think it fits fine on physical graffiti. Too. Punted it down the road. Yeah, they just punted it to that next album. That's fine. So, uh, first time I listened to this record, and actually, I didn't listen to it on record. I listened to it on cassette first time. So I had been, I had listened to all the other Led Zeppelin catalog by that point. This one remained the outlier that I hadn't listened to it yet because my brother, who was my main musical influence growing up, didn't have this particular one in his collection. He had one through four. He had Presence and Physical Graffiti and Coda, but this one didn't exist to my knowledge. I did eventually find it, and it was such like an awakening knowing the rest of the catalog, how this laid in there. And it was so eye-opening, like the first three tracks alone. Uh, you could have stopped right there. It could have been Led Zeppelin's EP, and you could have just released those three and been like, I'll call it a day. Well, and, if they were around now, they would do that. Oh, I know. They'd just put it or on just, iTunes. Yeah, just record one and put it out there and be like, oh, there you go. Buy it. Yeah. 
There you go. Make us a gajillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> make us a gajillion dollars. Just make it happen. That's that's funny that, that this was the last Zeppelin album that you listened to because yep. it was the first Zeppelin album I listened to. Really? And I, I literally, so I found it when weird. I was like six or seven years old and I was digging through, my dad had this brown, that almost looked like a little suitcase. It was brown leather and it was a cassette holder. And I remember it was in the, it was in our basement in just with a bunch of boxes and stuff. And I was like, what is that? And I was going through it and I was looking at every album, you know, or every cassette that was in there and a bunch of them I pulled out and I'm like, whatever, 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 you know? And then I pulled that one out and I was like, naked people on the cover. I have to listen to this. And what's this? Oh boy. I can't imagine listening to it at six or seven years old and having any concept of no, what it No, I had no, I had no idea like, what it was, ah, but I do remember, singing? I do remember <laughs> listening to it. And what was crazy was the very first song, because the, you know, obviously it's a cassette, so it was wherever it was when I put it in the tape player. The first song I heard was The Ocean. I, I think it was just a little bit of the ending of uh, No Quarter and then The Ocean. And I was like, wow, that's great. And my dad, later on, I was like, I was listening to this earlier. What What is this? And he's like, oh, yeah, don't ever listen to that again. That's, <laughs> that's like adult music. You don't want to listen yeah, to that. Yeah, don't listen to that. And, but I still remember doing that when I was a kid. And then later on, coming back when I was a teenager... Being like, didn't he have that cassette somewhere? Where was that? And finding it and listening to it again and being like, God, this is amazing. Right? This is so, you know, this is like next level stuff. An awakening to like the entire world of rock and roll. Kyle had a musical awakening. Had a musical awakening. Epiphany, very young. Teenage epiphany. (laughs) So I remember arguing with a classmate of mine. It's about like 14 years old or so about who the bigger influence on music was historically, Beatles or Led Zeppelin. And of course I naively, but mostly because I like to argue, took the Led Zeppelin side of it. And we all know Beatles have influenced every aspect of pop music from packaging to how albums are recorded to layering to studio tricks to all that stuff. They, They were pushing the envelope before... The envelope even existed because of the money they had. But if you talk about hard rock influences, there's not another one that compares to what Led Zeppelin put on the map. Oh, no way. And that's why like, I can listen to a Black Sabbath record. I can listen to a Deep Purple record and stuff. These bands did not take chances like Zeppelin took chances. They had a formula and they executed the formula for better or for worse. Zeppelin took hard rock composition and turned it on its ear. And a lot of it goes back to what they were doing experimentally on this record. Like uh, No Quarter, when you know they recorded it and then they messed, they were using Verispeed to take it down like just just enough to make it sound a little bit slower when you listen to it. To make and what Paige said it was to make it more ominous, to make it thicker, spookier. And that's to me, that's like a straight out of the like the Beatles playbook trick is to do that, but not doing it for uh, I am the walrus, but doing it for like a song like no quarter that has so much texturing and uh, different feels. It wasn't a pop song at all. Never wanted it to be a pop song. It it was a, a piece that ended up what living in their live stuff for years, forever. Again, that's, this is one that I agree with you on. It, It does sound better live. 
And, Even that one. And actually, No Quarters won. I, I, I really like both. I prefer Song Remains the Same live or Wooster. But uh, <laughs> No Quarter, from a performance aspect, just the, the way that even though the song is so layered on the album, but they were still able to translate it live. Uh-huh. And the theremin cry that, that just, I mean, just again, I mean, you're, you're, you're watching something magical happen and it's just, it's, it's really just a, a, a guy with a amplified antenna, but, sure. <laughs> um, but he made it sing, but he made it sing and cry. And, and you couldn't, it's interesting to me that that song was slowed down. I was reading that too, and I didn't know that uh, prior to my research with this. But I don't know if you can make that song creepier. I don't know, and I no, I don't think so. It'd be very difficult. It would be difficult. There's a mood there. That, I mean, you, they've ca- they captured whatever mood they were going for. They absolutely yeah. nailed it. Absolutely. Well, and that's what's crazy too is that's one of their most covered songs. Like I no wrote, quarter. Yeah, I wrote it down, and it was it's. Uh, so just the list on Wikipedia, uh, it's been covered by bands, uh, Crowbar, Page and Plant, Dread Zeppelin, Great White, Gravedigger, McTubb, Tool, what? Star One, Dissection, uh, Quidam, Aeron, Exhumed, Sly and Robbie, The Flaming Lips, and uh, Government Mule. Okay, so I've, two of I've, those bands I need to hear. I need to hear the Flaming Lips version because it's probably ridiculous. Yes. And then I've heard that one. What's the other band you said? A great white. Great white. That one I have not heard. I kind of want to hear that just for, just just for the hell of it because it's got to be ridiculous. I've heard the Tool version. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because No Quarter is one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs. I ah, I'm going to keep the original on that one. <laughs> right. But, no, I'm with you. But I mean, it is kind of amazing that um, a song that wasn't necessarily a huge commercial success for them has been as popular. It, from other bands and it's been such an influence so it is pretty incredible just to see the the reach that that song has had and it's so complex too i give credit to bands even trying to do it uh as much as i love the song i, I don't know if i would do it just there, there's just yeah. there's too much to it but uh, that's that's got to be terrifying to take something that's like so iconic and so good and be like yeah and we're gonna cover yeah, we're it we're gonna do that now yeah, we're gonna do that you right gotta, now it's gonna be so much better you gotta have a set of nuts on you to do that <laughs> that's just I don't have them for I mean, sure. Talk about great white. I don't. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> hey, once bitten, twice, twice shy, shy, baby. baby. That's great. It's a great. Plus, uh, producer Randy got his hand on his head. <laughs> Randy right. almost What's died. What's the problem and, uh, here? <laughs> we need we need a mic for Randy just so when you laugh, you can just at our put that stupid in there. shit. Can you just you can can just hear some laughter and just <laughs> insert it in there? <laughs> that's how that's how Randy laughs, and yeah. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> You don't, he doesn't have a mic, so you won't know. Exactly. <laughs> this is the part where he edits me into saying something like, I like poop or something. <laughs> well, now you've just given him the clip. Now I gave him the clip. He so doesn't even I'm have to edit it. You just said it. Damn it. All right. Yes. Rain song. Rain Almost, song. I, I, excuse me. That was my bad. Rain song, not the rain song. What about it? So, you know, so the only reason it was ever written is George Harrison. George Harrison said to John Bonham, come you guys don't write any ballads and he's like and he told jimmy page and jimmy page is like oh yeah i'll write a ballad screw you all, george harrison first of all hold on did he not listen to led zeppelin 4 you trying to tell me going to california is not a ballad right like it's more ballad than the rain song ends up being it by the end is. so so maybe he wasn't listening but anyway maybe he wasn't let's think about that conversation 
George Harrison is going to come up to John Bonham. Yeah. I want to be a fly on the wall or anything. And say, you need to do more ballads. Can you just... (laughs) Yeah, just think about that. And Bonham's like, in between 14 shots of vodka, saying, Ballads! Ballads! Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Ballads! We don't do no stinking ballads. (sighs) But apparently it's stuck. I mean, uh, yeah, so, the, you know, the decision was made at some hey, point. Told but, Paige. Paige is like, oh, 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 yeah. And so the first two chords are direct lifts from something by the Beatles. And you don't mean something generically. You mean the song. I mean something. Something, yeah, something, in, the, something in the way she moves. That one. Yeah, it's direct lifts. And that's Paige's like, message to him. So I don't write ballads. All right. Here you go. First two chords. There's actually a fantastic quote. Uh, sadly, it's in Rolling Stone. But uh, I'll quote it anyways. Let's see here. Uh, Following what the band Led Zeppelin's one of their three-hour concerts in Los Angeles, a suitably impressed Harrison warmly greeted Zeppelin backstage by exclaiming, Fuck me! (laughs) (laughs) With the Beatles, we were on for 25 minutes and I could get off in 15. But for all of the compliments, the so-called quiet Beatle was apparently disappointed by Zepp's dearth of quiet numbers. Uh, George was talking to Bonzo one evening and said, the problem with you guys is that you never do ballads. Page told biographer uh, Brad Talinsky. I said, I'll give him a ballad. And I wrote Rain Song, which appears on Houses of the Holy. Uh, in fact, you'll notice I even quote something in the song's first two chords. Fuck me. There you have it. <laughs> I'm George Harrison. Fuck, Fuck me. me. <laughs> that's, the, that's the tagline for this episode. I'm George Harrison. Fuck me. It's an episode about Led Zeppelin. I don't know why I'm Australian. Nobody does. Yeah, you uh, you, you lost it there. I you lost it. it. English, it, Scottish, Australian. You yes, kind of just uh, roll up it all into one. I have a root. I have a thing. I can do any accent for seven seconds. Right, and then and he then loses it's it. Gone. And then it's, it's gone, gone, gone forever. forever. Gone forever. It's very weird. I mean, he doesn't even have to practice it normally. Right? It'd be like Michael Caine, go. And it'll give you seven seconds and then nothing. And he's like, I don't even remember who I was doing. I don't know what that was. Why do we fall down, Mr. Wayne? So and it's gone. Yeah, that's yeah, it. See, but there you go. I can't finish the line. I can't finish that line. Yeah. The rain song. Rain song. Rain song. Uh, Into over the hills and far away. Oof. Which I still think, in personal opinion, obviously, I think this is one of the most iconic rock songs of all time. The riff is, is that 12 string? There the is outset? 12 string. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one of the first songs I learned on guitar, um, not to the proficiency that uh, Mr. Page would play, oh, it, but uh, without a doubt, I mean, that was, a, that was a song that influenced me growing up and then uh, wanting to play guitar. There's a lot of influences, but that was one that I, I just knew I had to learn that song. And uh, even though my skills have definitely atrophied through the years, I still will bust that one out. It's, it's kind of the uh, brings you back in. Yeah, and and no matter what, I will always come back to that song. And uh, do you uh, play it at parties and bar mitzvahs? Is that uh, <laughs> I no longer do it at bar mitzvahs. Oh, okay, no. that's parties probably, probably sometimes. Um, divorce parties, yes. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> do you change the lyrics to be about the divorce? I'll do whatever they pay me. Hey, to do. Sadie, <laughs> get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> it's beautiful. Actually. Thank you. You know what, Dumb? I'm going to take that one. Now. Yeah, we're going to write that down <laughs> for later. But it's a, it is an iconic song. It is. And you're not, ex- just, you're not expecting it. Like that, that bright sound right at, the, like right at the top and leads into just like a funky, dirty 
song right after and it. and you almost think you're getting another ballad it almost you kind of get that vibe off the start you're going okay we like, just ooh. had we just had rain song more british folk rock but jimmy page said no i'm only going to give you one folk song <laughs> just one just one and they go right into it and that chorus just hits so heavy and and again not as overdriven as you know say heartbreaker a whole lot of love something like that but the tempo picking up and 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 just the dynamics of it, those hard crashes. I mean, just and the transitions, everything. Just really, it really just like like I said, that was probably what drew me to Houses of the Holy in general because that was the song that got me into Led Zeppelin. Awesome. So, what song is next, Kyle? Next up is the Grunge. I had no idea going in to do the research for this that this was supposed to be them. Kind of, I don't want to say make a fun of James Brown, but imitating james brown yeah and it's the minute you hear that you're like oh yeah that makes perfect sense now that i listen to this song i mean so dirty that that bass line is just filthy it is filthy (laughs) it is i love it that's a plant it is it is apex because i feel after after this record the toll of drugs and alcohol sex drugs and rock and roll right And, and how many shows they had been doing was taking its toll on his voice it was definitely shredding it for the next couple albums so this is where he's at he hit that peak. Right? Where everything just sounds solid. And even in that song, which is all over the place yeah. vocally. You know, those were all improvised the first time, right? No, all I did the, not All the that. lyrics were improvised the first time. And then they kind of went through and listened to the recording and cleaned it up just a little bit. And he changed some stuff around and repeated some things in it. And that's how they ended up with the, the final product. In that review that I like chucked across the room, this guy, uh, he, he said... Uh, astoundingly idiotic lyrics. Yes. When she walks, she walks. And when she talks, she talks. Apparently he doesn't care for that. Well, look, nobody's going to, I think, reasonably tune to the grunge or, you know, roll into the grunge and go, Mm-mm. oh man, this, you know, this, this is Led Zeppelin. No, but no. that is the beauty of it. You have a song and you have a groove and a, I don't even know what, time signature that they're running with there uh, uh it's uh, i used to know this it was like they were playing two separate uh the drums were playing five four seven four and the guitars were playing four four five four that just hurts my head so they were catching up eventually that just they hurts would, my head they would catch That's up and cross weird. over eventually so yeah we i remember we worked it out in uh worked out in jazz band class one day <clears throat> trying to figure it out and i'm like dude yeah. alert shut up what the hell was that? What? What? My jazz band wasn't that good. <laughs> oh no, ours was good. You can only play Birdland so many times. You can only play Birdland <laughs> so many times, but we didn't know that. Oh really? Yeah. Also, what a fantastic end to the A side of this album. It's Where's almost that its confounded own, it's a, bridge. It's its, it's own and then closer. It's just dead quiet. Yep. And then you get the. Yeah. I have to admit, when I was invited to do this, which if I haven't thanked you already. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, but when I was invited to do this and, and we had discussed this, that weekend I, I put this album on vinyl and um, had a vinyl night and listened to it. And uh, my girlfriend knows I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. She herself is not a huge Led Zeppelin fan, but um, the, the crunch, you could just kind of see the look. She just doesn't really know what's happening. And then, what's that compounded bridge? <laughs> and that is the, just like, what? That is the what? best way to just... What just happened? And it, it just let her just go. Yeah, it's over. It's over. It's over. Just let it hang there for See, a second. You, and you let it hang, and you and you and you let the the dog fur get picked up by the needle one more time, and then you go <laughs> rotate the album. Fantastic way uh, on 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 such a 
uh, you could say maybe goofy or or parody song, but yeah, I uh, don't care. Wouldn't take it out, right? If, it fits so well with everything else on here. And then on the B side, just boom, right into Dancing Days, and it's such a like it's different than everything that was on the A side. It really is. It's like a dance song. You go from something that's got a weird timing and it's basically impossible to dance to. <laughs> It is basically a dance song. I mean, you lead right into it on the next side of the album. It's great. Uh, lyrically, uh, I actually quite enjoy that song, and it's it's interesting. I don't, I I couldn't tell you where that sits from a singles perspective for Zeppelin, but I can say in the radio rotation now, I hear that song just as much as I do some of their bigger hits. You know, your really? Black Dog, your your Cashmere, stuff like that. I I feel like I do. Maybe I'm somewhat biased to it because I've I've always liked the song. And um, talking about covers, I think. Uh, we would really be doing a disservice if uh, didn't bring up good old STP. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, that that's an actually pretty faithful cover, and and I like the fact that it's stripped down. I actually think that it being stripped down really it, it really draws out just that easygoing vibe that that song had. I mean, you just it told a story lyrically. It told a story. <laughs> you told your mother I would get you home, but you didn't say that I had no car. I mean, <laughs> I think everybody's had that plight at some point. Uh, Something similar, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe I I didn't have my bicycle. I mean, that was my problem. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but uh, <laughs> it, a, a great song, and like I said, a great a great story out of the song. I think, and it's um, we keep talking about it being different, and it is very different. You've got something that just uh, you've got the A side ends just so abruptly and just so just ah, what the hell just happened. And then you just pick right up. It's kind of like its own intro again. It's like you've got another number one song. You've got another song that the guitar hits you right off. Nice driving beat, but it's not overpowering. So I'm a fan of it. Some purists I know aren't, but that's fine. Uh, Jamaica. Yeah, Jamaica. I've always loved that song. See, I'm, I'm going to combat you here. Yeah? Don't care for you it. You don't care for it, That's huh? the only... I mean, the, the problem is that this album is so good that this song couldn't ruin it for me, so it's okay. I That's don't hate true. it. I think I've I've just I've heard it enough, and uh, I, I think for me personally, I think I just always wanted to get to know Quarter so bad. So <laughs> I just that is typically how it goes. You're like, oh, I gotta listen through this again. But what the crazy thing about it though, I consider this the weakest song in the album, and it still beats the best of what a lot of other bands are doing. So. Yeah. I mean, oh, I agree. It, it's that. fine. So, I, I, who am I to criticize? What do you got written down there, Kyle? Yeah, you got a lot of notes over there. I do, uh, but I already told you this one where the name uh, for Jamaica oh, yeah, came from. Yeah, you already did that. That's just the notes I've got for that, and leads into No Quarter. I mean, if we're going to No Quarter, I'll talk about it again. Yeah, let's talk about Don't it again. Even care. Let's do it. Another song that uh, during my uh, learning of guitar, it's actually it's it's not an overly difficult song to play on guitar. Um, but uh, get, achieving the sound, achieving the uh, the dynamics, and achieving just that, it, it's hard to do because you're, we're not using a, a utility to slow the entire track down. You can't slow your guitar playing down as you go, but um, kick up a lot of flange, you use a good wah pedal, um, and I'm an effects wah. junkie, so 
when I was learning, I, I would spend more time messing with the effects. And I still do this, unfortunately. It's a, it's a fault of mine. I'll, I'll spend more time playing with the effects than I do actually learning the song. So One effects <laughs> processor or you got 19 pedals um, on the floor? No, I, I would do... Um, I'm an effects junkie, but I must want to budget. So um, multi-board and a good wah pedal. And I would have a good Dunlop wah pedal. And that was... That's really... That's 85% of it. Get a good flange something with some modulation kick up some reverb and just let it just let it scream and i just uh, loved it <laughs> still do i'm gonna probably go home and play it and that's not true i'll do it tomorrow but um, <laughs> you are gonna be getting home kind of late so yeah oh, you just, play just it. crank play up it. the volume my, my neighbors are pretty cool See? Uh, probably not that cool but <laughs> the the other thing uh for me on this uh, i talk about the guitar part and and as a guitar player and a drummer i i pick up on those and i pick up a lot of the guitar that comes out of that song but this is john paul jones no doubt this is this is him and i mean it's i mean you just you just hear him those those chords that he plays kind of on that offbeat just just a little bit off and just subtle not overpowering. Um, you take it out, though, the song ruins. So I think that's what, to me, is really amazing about it, is you could take something that, if you didn't have it in there, the song is completely different. It loses that mood. It loses that vibe. And he's a mastermind. And that I read that same Rolling Stone interview that uh, or that article that you brought up earlier, and it cracks me up to, to think that someone would even write something about how he doesn't have composition skills. Like, right. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, he doesn't. And that was definitely just a, just, it, it would be laughed off today. But when, unfortunately then though, uh, you didn't have anything else to go off of. So it's kind of amazing Led Zeppelin's tenure and, and success was as good as it was because they sure didn't get much love from the music community. Yeah. From publications at least. He refers to it as spinning absolutely superfluous electronic oh, fills. Uses big is. words to that's say nothing. Says, right? Okay. Cool. But that's fancy. Fancy. Somebody's got an English degree. <laughs> <laughs> so then the closes out yeah. with the ocean. Which we talked about before. Oh yeah. Oh well, okay. Again, as a so I think uh, No Quarter really draws in uh, the aspiring songwriter in me that I was never there for and the guitar player in me that I would love to be. If I had to pick one thing out of the ocean, the the time signature changes. Even now, I have to do it as a feel because I can't count it out. I can count out a lot of the music I play. I can't count it out. I have I admittedly just go, how the hell did these people do this? On <laughs> and they were so fucked up too. Like was it four four seven eight? You'd have yeah yeah common time four four yeah. and seven eight. seven eight. So you would have a four 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 seven, seven eight four, and you're just like yeah. <laughs> Alternating measures of four four seven eight four four yeah. And maddening. I mean, to look at it on a piece of sheet music is just absolutely maddening. But the the end result and the product is just um, amazing. And this is one of my favorite live songs from Led Zeppelin. Again, uh, a lot of their stuff is really good live, but I think this one they always captured really well. It's upbeat. And the other thing, both both on the studio and live, I know he, uh, Bonham uses a lot of leverage, a lot of uh, like rim shots and just get that really loud staccato, just pop, pop, pop. That mm. snare just always popped out yep. a lot on this song. In an era where the snare almost just had to be like uh, fat and rattly, um, it would, for me, I, I'm a snare junkie too. So um, <laughs> just to hear something completely different, just a nice staccato, just I don't know. It, it was always just a big thing for me. Uh, sound of his drums is 
on this song especially. It's just yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's loud and it's out there, but it's not an abrasive track. So no. a, a great way to close out an incredible album. And it's fun. I mean, how could you not have fun listening to this song? I don't know. That doo-wop influenced ending. Man. Yeah. Just yeah. And, it, and like, where the hell does it come from? Doesn't yeah. matter. Fits. It fits perfect. Fits it so well. Not according to Gordon Fletcher. <laughs> well, Gordon. Gordon Fletcher. He didn't care. Felch my oh, oh, he didn't <laughs> care for it. Well, that's fine. Um, I, I do have to point out the um, very hard to hear, and on the remastered version, I think they really tried to get this out. But uh, does anybody know about the telephone? What are you no. talking about? Um, a minute 35, minute 36 on the track. You can, if it really works best oh, if you have headphones. Yeah. Right, a, right in the middle of that instrumental bridge, there's a telephone that rings. It's, it, it's definitely a phone or a, a, a doorbell or something. Uh, interviews with, uh, like Paige and Plant said, eh, it could have happened, but I don't think it did. But I, I, you could definitely hear it. There's <laughs> a, I read an interview later, like somewhere around, I want to say like 1990, where Paige said, yeah, there was definitely a phone. And he said, now it would be much easier to take out. But it was like, meh, we're just yeah, going to yeah. leave it It's in there. there now. Right? And, and if I'm sure they're probably almost out of tape. That was probably the issue. They probably like, ah, yeah. don't want to have to go to the store and buy more tape. Right. But um, sometimes if, that t- if, the, if the take that you have is just that good. You want to overlook some, some anomalies well, in there. Like, and, it, and it's also fun, too, because again... Um, like we discussed earlier, this was their own swan song from a big record label that they'd outgrown. I mean, it's yeah. crazy to think that they outgrew Atlantic, but they did. So, eh, to say that leave it this is their swan song this before swan song. Before the song. swan song. Ooh. Absolutely. It was. That's deep. There's one more iconic piece of this album that we have to talk about. We're going to talk about the album cover, we aren't we? we got to talk about the we album do. cover because it is probably... It's definitely in the top five most iconic album covers of all time. I mean, everybody recognizes it the minute you, I mean, like I said, the first time I saw it, I was like six or seven years old and I was like, naked people. Yeah. (laughs) So provocative. My notes on this, I literally wrote down, Matthew already knows everything. Just pretend like you wrote a lot of notes for this. Oh, good. That's That's a good note. Right? So these are, what's a, a brother and a sister. That's the only... Only two people that were models for this. It was a uh, brother and sister from England. Uh, the boy actually grew up to host several cooking shows on the BBC. Ooh. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Gates, I think it might be their last name. But uh, So it's a brother and a sister, and they took them up to a place called Giant's Causeway in Northern Ireland that has these kind of rock structures like that. And, and the goal was uh, to get a, a sunrise and sunset picture. Originally was Storm Thurgerson from Hypnosis, which is the company that I've talked to you about. Yes. That's like the massive 70s and 80s creative uh, album cover uh, unit. So it was uh, Storm Thurgerson and uh, Aubrey Powell. Storm Th- uh, Thurgerson had an idea for the record cover that he wanted to have like an electric green tennis court with a racket sitting on it. And Jimmy Page is like, "Whoa, you think our music's racket?" And he fired him immediately. So they hired the other guy, <laughs> hired the other guy, Aubrey Powell, to do it. So Aubrey Powell takes him up there, says, "I want a sunset and a sunset pic- or a sunset, sunrise and a sunset picture for it." And it proceeded to rain for ten straight days. So they, he's like, "Oh, we still got to do it." So they would like drag this brother and sister out to climb on the rocks in the morning and in the evening, 
looking for this picture and he took a bunch of pictures and was trashed on quaaludes and booze trying to just get through the whole thing. Um, and, what a time to be alive. Right? <laughs> and uh, they ended up taking it back to process it in their studio and it, he wanted like this kind of gray, like steel look for it and it ended up with this odd pinkish hue to it from the processing and they left it that way. And they they just actually just multiple exposure. That's why there's seven kids on it, but it's actually just the same two. Hmm. And it, it's one of the happy, you know. You're telling like, me these weren't centuplets that they just correct. out there. Okay. They're just happy. It was just a happy accident how that album kind of, the cover came together. And that is, that's their real hair, right? Yes. A lot of people have speculated that they were kids in wigs. No. That's their real hair. Yeah, that's their hair. And they, they t- I read an interview with, with uh, the boy and he thought he had never listened to the record ever like even all these years later wow he hadn't listened to it because he felt like it was kind of spooky and like there was a weight to it so they actually drove back up there when he was in his 40s and he listened to the record and hung out there and felt like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders because he always kind of felt like weighed down by that experience that's so cool he said that him and his sister just like climbing on rocks and they're like naked but they're like we're like six and seven six and eight years old it's like okay that it's not a sexual thing it's just like eh. and everyone thought there was some kind of spooky weird occult element to it and it's like no just a, it's a bunch of kids climbing on rocks <laughs> so anticlimactic <laughs> maybe that is the best way to summarize how the album came together musically you know, it's kind of an eclectic combination of uh, them really experimenting with a lot of things that they had not done and things that they, somebody, you know, undoubtedly said they should not do. Oh, definitely. Or, or that's not going to work. Oh, we got kids on rocks. That's not going to work. Well, clearly. Yeah, clearly <laughs> it, it, it worked because it, it won a Grammy like the following year for best album design. So, I mean, clearly that worked. And it sold 11 million copies, so clearly the music worked. So what's the problem, Rolling Stone? <laughs> We're really picking on Rolling really, Stone really this episode. Yeah, they're, they're really going to come down on us. I'm, I'm trying to get their attention. That makes sense. I think, start a feud um, with them. I, I, I couldn't say if they've specifically said it in regard to this, but I do believe that they've uh, posthumously said, uh, uh, our bad. <laughs> I, I do think that they've done that in, at some point. Well, yeah. Because a little late, though. I mean... Because they don't want all of us hating them. They want yeah. all of us hey. still... I remember. I remember when you said that. Remember when? It's on the internet. It lives forever. Well, it does now because now you have a copy I know. Of it. I yeah. printed it out. Yeah. And highlighted. Highlighted it. The only other thing that I wrote down in here notes-wise, uh, have either of you listened to the deluxe edition of this? Yes. Um, it came out in 2014. Uh, yes. And it's, um, it's got a whole second cd to it if you buy it on cd or on itunes it's you know obviously a bunch more tracks but they're alt takes of almost every single song on here Mm -hmm. or uh, a couple of them are like guitar only versions or uh you know it's it's fascinating to listen to more from like a how these songs were created standpoint so if you're out there and you're going to go listen to this album grab the deluxe edition because the whole first eight tracks are just remastered versions of the originals so they sound great and then there's eight more tracks on there that are all takes of every every song on there it, it's fantastic and i i can only hope that 
in due time, they release more content like that. Uh, for so long, uh, I know Page and Plant were just against doing yeah really anything like that because it was basically what was behind the curtain was behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And they they were, uh, I don't want to say notorious, but I mean, you know, their career was cut short. Well, the, the you know, the, the collective, the band's presence was definitely cut short. Uh, with with Bonham, mm-hmm. um, and you have to respect that. You have to know that yeah. that wasn't going to continue. But almost to a fault, they would not put something out that didn't represent them. And it really is a, a, a testament to their success that that stuff doesn't exist. But at the same time, I think we deserve it now. And yeah, I think I we could look at it and see, yeah, in the body of work, it doesn't negatively impact their body of work for what it for what it still is. Yeah. Um, but it, it can maybe help tell us like what could have been and maybe appreciate it more to say, hey, that was rough, but it led into this. Yeah. I think you're going to see more and more of that as the years progress, like alternate takes and stuff without the keys or stuff without certain layering and stuff. And I, Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think at this point, what are you holding it back for? Yeah, it's like uh, your, your integrity is not still, being well, compromised. Still doing it, <laughs> right? But your integrity is not being compromised. Everyone knows your legends, and you're not hurting your your status, your, your status, or your your history. You're not you're not impacting the history of what Led Zeppelin was by by releasing that yeah. kind of stuff. Not the other thing they have to realize too is as they're getting older, they either release it now so they can still comment on it, or it gets released posthumously after they've gone and. I feel like as an, uh, you know, if you're an artist, probably want that released while you're still alive. So you can actively say, oh yeah, this was an alternate take to this song and we didn't pick it because X, Y, and Z versus having it come out after your death and everyone has to speculate why you didn't do that or why did you change what you changed. And if it's going to come out after the fact, you're never going to benefit from it. Yeah. Someone else is going to be holding the keys to that at that point. So if you have an opportunity to benefit from an alternate track, why not do it while you're still alive so you can reap the rewards, as it were? So let's, uh, let's wrap this baby up. Okay. You guys want to, uh, you got any final thoughts on it? No, I've said my piece. Uh, I think it's the, the highlight of the Led Zeppelin catalog for me. I could listen to it all day, all the time, and not get tired of it, where the earlier stuff is a little too raw, and then the later stuff is a little too dense to kind of break into that to listen to over and over again. Well, this is just, it, it sounds fresh every time I listen to it. This, I think, was their the peak of their listenable creativity. Um, and as much of a, a fan I am of Led Zeppelin, their later stuff is kind of one of those, it's an acquired taste. And I really had to just, man, I really want to just dive into into the outdoor, you know. Uh, <laughs> not that there's not great songs and it's tough. I know. But this really is uh I think I I think it's hard to label anything as their best work or their this or their that, but I think you have to look at it and say this is the I think arguably the best blend of what of where they were at the time um and where music was just in general and they they'd push those boundaries and they they were not afraid to take chances and but the thing is, they didn't take any chances that didn't work out. You know, everything worked. I definitely think it's like a quintessential rock album. And not only is it, I, I totally agree with you, Kirby. It's right in that spot where it's it's not their early stuff. And it's 
not the more experimental later stuff. It's it's very accessible. I think that you could play this for anybody, and they would at least find one or two tracks on here that they love. Of course, you know it's it's a great album. I agree. So I want to take this opportunity to thank Kirby for joining us today. It's thank been you, gentlemen. Our pleasure, and we hope you will join us again in the future. Oh yeah. And uh, next time we talk about a Zeppelin album, maybe. I'll just, I'll just, I'll phone it in. <laughs> oh, that's smart. Yeah, I'll phone. Yeah, because you, you know, you probably don't need to do another full album, but I, you, we can phone in, and I'll just discuss a track. Oh, that, <laughs> that's fair. We could do that. So, if anyone out there has comments for us or uh, some disagreements, yes, or you guys suck, and and Led Zeppelin Four is the best rock album of all time, and want you blow it out your ass, please feel free to. Email us at info at audiojudo.com. Go mm-hmm. to our social media on uh, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and track us down and comment. We want comments. We want feedback. We want to hear. Yes, please. We have to say, we want to hear, oh my gosh, that Kirby guy's got a really sexy voice. I get in touch <laughs> Unless with you're guy. from Rolling Stone. <laughs> oh, you're probably not going to like me, yeah. Rolling Stone, but you know what? No. Suck it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. we are uh, glad you tuned in today. Or this evening one last thing we could Kirby, ask because oh, i know guests something. guests are kind of a new thing for us do you got anything you want to plug kirby i have nothing i'd like to plug all right other than my friendship <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to be friends with kirby uh send 1099 yeah. to no i'm just kidding i look I, i'm not in the double digits yet 799 works <laughs> 799 works <laughs> no the opportunity to come here and, and and talk music and uh uh kind of talk shop if you will uh getting into uh one of my favorite bands and easily one of my favorite albums and a big influencer for me and uh, it's an incredible opportunity so I, I would just like to plug the fact that I was able to sit down with you gentlemen tonight and discuss it oh well thank you it's it was, our it pleasure it was fun yeah so uh, for Kyle I will bid you adieu and uh, say uh, check out www.audiojudo.com for upcoming episodes and to give us your feedback and any future episode suggestions that you might have and good night I'm George Harrison. Fuck me. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions, and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, 
Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.